Welcome to the Business Extra. I'm Mustafa Al Rawi, the National's Assistant Editor in Chief in Abu Dhabi. If you like this show, please do subscribe. If you're on YouTube, ring that bell. So today we're going to be talking about the the crises in the UK, the cost of living, rising energy prices. Also, the economy looks like it's going to take a significant turn for the worse in the next few months. Uh, joining us now from London is the Nationals London Bureau Chief, Damien McElroy. Damien, welcome. Hello. How's things? Uh, I think we. I feel like sentiment-wise, at least, we're doing a lot better over here in the Gulf uh, than, than you are in London. But I, I mean, I'd like to to kind of get a, a picture from you, perhaps at the be- you know what's what's the reality gap between the headlines and actual life at the moment. Um. I think the reality gap is people are conceptualizing there's a hell of a lot of trouble down the track, um, and yet they're still slightly in the mindset that they had three months ago when things were more or less uh, fine and we were looking at essentially a recovery from the pandemic and that uptrend was around. So, you know, the, the downtrend hasn't strictly started, though... There's a lot of people beginning to feel it. And, you know, we've had statistics today from the Bank of England talking about how credit card debt has suddenly started shooting up. And that that is a real leading indicator of, you know, once people turn to the credit card just to tide them in the first stretch of payments, then real problems come along after that, don't they? And um, uh, as people uh, have trouble paying those type of debt back. So, so yeah, um, people are registering the fact that things are hitting hard times. They have seen that, you know, inflation in the shops has been pretty bad. And it's now gone from that point where they were able to absorb it to um, getting to ways of finding coping mechanisms, I, I guess. And then it gets worse from there. So we, we, you talked about energy prices. So you talked about energy prices, and certainly the the because of the the cap on prices, we can see down the road, as, as you quite rightly said, what's what's going to happen, and we're going to see an eighty percent increase later in the year. But if you look at it over a twelve month period, it's it's a tripling of the cost uh, to 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 both consumers and businesses as wholesale gas and power prices rise. Now we saw a little bit of that, as you said globally, not just in the UK, with the recovery with the pandemic, a supply, as demand came back very quickly and maybe supply couldn't keep up. But since then, we've seen the peculiarities of, of the knock-on effects of Russian gas being pulled out of the market. But also, there seems to be maybe a, a reckoning that's been due for some time with regards to how the UK power market is structured. And, and are, are people accepting that you know, reform needed to happen before this now, that there were, there were some structural problems already in place? I don't think people have truly registered just how um, badly structured the UK market is. I don't think all those kind of reasons why the UK is in such a vulnerable position have really hit home to people about um, the system and how it left them vulnerable. So, And this, this exists at many levels. So the UK uh, doesn't have a lot of storage. Um, you know, when Germany hits its kind of happy place of uh, full capacity in terms of storage, it will have two months' supply backup. 
the UK, um, when it maxes out the storage it's got, is um, is looking at a matter of days. So, you know, there's a real problem there. They had um, a North Sea underground uh, storage facility called Rough, which was closed in 2018 by a decision essentially of the government in uh, conjunction with one of the biggest energy companies and the regulator. Um, and that really has left the UK very, very vulnerable because it um, doesn't have any cushion. Um, and you have to balance that against the UK actually has uh, the most capacity to offload LNG in Europe. And so at the moment, those uh, offloading facilities are running hot and um, they are essentially going to fill up European storage because of the pipeline infrastructure. So global LNG is coming to Europe through the UK, which is also um, disguising the nature of the issue for the UK and may actually be a help later in winter because the European countries do need to cooperate with the UK on that level. Um, and then the third thing is just the nature of how you get gas in your home, how you get electricity marketed to you. So the UK has left it to the essentially the retailer to find their gas supply, their LNG supply or their renewable supply, depending on how contracts are structured. And so this is where the system has already seen a, a lot of failure. We all, I have experienced myself, where the, the company that provided the, um, the uh, electricity or the gas to my home went bust, and there was a system set up to deal with that, which essentially allowed accounts to be moved to other companies. But at the end of the day, the essentially fractured nature of who sells uh, home energy or business energy in this country means that um, the, there are very uh, few uh, supply contracts in place, long-term stable price supply contracts in, in place, because a lot of these companies are quite small. They're undercapitalized. They're not able to go out and buy storage ahead or hedge in, in a very big way. And, you know, there are a handful of big UK companies that can do that but they don't represent the whole market. So on those three levels, the UK is, is especially vulnerable because it's not buying its own supplies. It's allowing companies to do it and it doesn't have storage backup capacity. So again, if, if I if I look, take a step back, globally, we've seen strains on supply chains post-COVID. We've seen rising food prices. Um, we've seen, you know, issues when it comes to certain consumer goods, particularly ones that rely on microchips. It, it, it's been common across the board. And if I kind of give you my anecdotal uh, experience of spending, a, you know, three weeks in London over the summer, I felt like it was a city that was straining, that was creaking um, because of this. Like supermarkets felt like they didn't always have a lot of supply. Uh, you, you had an issue of infrastructure seemed old staff shortages everywhere everyone was 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 looking for staff and then contrast that with admittedly only a few days in in a quiet august in paris but a, a city that didn't seem to have as much strain and seemed more efficient and i wonder is it too simplistic to suggest that now we're seeing a kind of brexit discount between you know a, a capital city like london and a capital city like paris where you would you you would have 
in, in recent years said London is far more efficient than Paris in many ways. Yeah, I mean, there has been a huge distortion caused by Brexit in the system. Um, the jury is out to a large degree on how much the COVID pandemic, which came right after that, uh, either aided that distortion or in some ways disguised it or both. Um, but at the moment, the UK is in the middle of doing readjustment. And um, that means some suppliers are falling off the radar, we've had a, you know quite deep weakness in in the pound, but also there's um, weakness in the euro. So, you know, you could say those two are, are happening for the same reasons. But um, at the moment, everything does feel like a strain. It's not just that prices are rising; it's that there are bottlenecks, that there is a readjustment of um, where goods come from and how many. Businesses, say, in Europe are really willing to, to make normal efforts to export to the UK. Um, and so we're not out of the woods in terms of all those things coming together. To what extent is politics potentially a solution or or is it is it another drag? Because you have the the, the Chancellor, essentially the UK Finance Minister, uh, Nadim uh, Zahawi, going to the US this week, uh, as reported in The National. Um, by your team, uh, Damien, saying that he's going to go ask the US for help with the cost of living crisis and to kind of resolve the energy security. So, so where where do you see politics kind of sitting here? Well, here's the thing. I mean, there is um, an, a probable outcome of the election uh, for Conservative leader um, in around Liz Truss winning. She is very much someone who is. Uh, speaking for a long time on supply side changes to the UK economy. And that implies that, you know, there'll be a bonfire of regulations or that there'll be um, a way of um, doing friendly trade ties with the US that will allow more imports from the US of US style goods, um, etc. But politicians have no good track record in this country of delivering those kind of regulatory adjustments and supply side changes are supposedly in the headline or you know they're in the headlines often they're supposedly going to be achieved and then somehow nothing really ever happens and um i think you'd be very brave to put your trust in um those sort of changes a coming to our help immediately or soon and B, uh, that the politicians can actually deliver what they say. And, and there's another thing here as well, which is actually Liz Truss has quite uh, poor relations with the US. She's said things to them like, you have not been able to open up your markets to us in the way that Canada has, or, or we want to with Japan, etc. She's um, She said to them that, you know, she wants to have deals with, or she wants to scrap the, the Brexit deal relating specifically to Northern Ireland, which is an issue that the US political machine really cares about. And it looks like she's going to have a confrontation with the US on that level. And then if you look uh, at a, on a global level to what the US uh, energy secretary was saying last week to uh, US firms, which was basically, um, let's fill up our own LNG, our own gas reserves, before we start exporting to the world. So 
there have been, you know, the start of LNG ex- exports coming east across the Atlantic. But um, the message from the Biden administration last week was essentially war. You know, we want to make sure we're we're um, ring fenced at least through November uh, from from rising global prices. So you know, it's very difficult to see the conditions falling into place where there's a political breakthrough on these issues. Having said that, I remember during the pandemic, you wrote very insightfully about the changing social contract in the the UK as the government directly stepped in to help the economic uh, strain that, you know, lockdown and COVID was causing with direct payments to both individuals and businesses. And and you, you mentioned the leadership contest for the Conservative Party, effectively the new prime minister. A lot of debate has been from Liz Truss on one side and, and Rishi Sunak saying we should uh, give direct help to people. And Liz Truss saying, no, tax cuts are better. But also the debate seems to now broaden to talk about whether uh, industries need to be renationalized and how privatization hasn't worked. It feels like as much as politics has no track record, that maybe there's an inflection point, that maybe Britain might take a completely different path now. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, you you look at the government, it's got a majority. In some ways, the most uh, effective thing it could do would be the most radical things it could do. So if it really does basically say, we are going to take a radical policy, and that's what we're going to do because that's what we do, um, then um, it it basically has the political tools to do so because it's got a majority. And um, if you're Liz Truss looking at how you're going to take over and how you're going to make an impact, then that um, very exciting ride of going for, well, I was going to say going for bust, but let's let's say she she is able to reinflate the economy and to get, to boost growth and to give people in classic Reaganite terms, their own money so that they can spend it, so that the economy lifts and they become entrepreneurial in the process, is, um, you know, if if really that's what um, the new government comes in and sets its cap on doing over the next two years, then, you know, we are in for a very exciting ride. We are in for uh, a very radical government. And as I say, in theory, it's got um, an 80-seat majority, and so it, it does have the political tools to do so. It, it would be um, very brave, and it would be, in some senses, um, turning the clock back 40 years. But um, we could indeed, as you say, be right at that inflection point. Do, do you think individuals and, and businesses expect the government to help them more now after the COVID experience? I think they do expect um, help, yes. And I, I think um, the government can either say, you know, we will do what we did during COVID, which is to provide a direct subvention to ensure that, you know, you as an individual will be able to pay your your bills in, in October as much as you can pay them in, in May, say. And that that's the kind of time frame that governments can make that sort of intervention. I do think, you know, even a Liz Trust government will be doing some of those measures um, to make sure that people can pay the bills. Because don't forget, there are there's quite an active campaign to try and encourage people not to pay anything at all for utilities. Uh, and if that kind of got out of hand, we could recall the sort of um, popular 
almost protest movements that we saw in the in the poll tax era, which really did um, uh, have such a strong uh, participation by the public that um, it it changed the government policy. So, so I think you know, as much as Liz Truss says she will cut taxes, as much as she says she will try and um, get industry move or get businesses moving again and get uh, investment going through incentives. I think, you know, the, the reality is that if people are facing sort of triple household bills for energy and that becomes a bigger household cost than a mortgage or anything or their income taxes, which is the scale of the rise we're talking about, then then you do actually have to find a way to have people have more money each month so that they can pay the bills. I mean, you're talking about the, that movement uh, with regard to not paying the bills is essentially you cancel your direct debit. And that means yeah. that, and that's a very easy way to do it, right? It's a click of a button. Yeah. And, you know, they can't come after all of us. I mean, you know, the um, the um, the actual cutting off households from electricity or from gas just is not a political possibility on a, on a, on the scale of millions. Um, and so the supply will continue to come into your home. So if there's a, you know, if there are enough people just doing that off their own volition, then then you do have a, you, they are making the reality, not the politicians or the businesses. Um, and as I say, there's um, there's quite a lot of, especially social media stuff around that going on. And, and certainly, we've seen quite a bit of industrial action and strikes over the summer. Again, it's not a it's not a UK phenomenon, but it seemed it seemed to have increased in regularity in the UK, and there and there has been some progress. I mean, there has been some pay deals won as a result of that, so they can see it works to a certain extent. So why yeah. wouldn't individuals do it? But also, the worry is is that these energy bills result in major businesses mothballing, just saying it's not worth it for us. And then you have the knock on effect on employment and pay, etc. I mean, if it gets, it could really get out get out of hand very quickly. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, something I've noticed since the the pandemic, which is quite interesting, that a lot of businesses that would have been open seven days a week, like a local coffee shop on my street or whatever, they're they're taking a day where they, they probably don't make money and they're just closing for that day. They're not they're not opening and they haven't been for the last two years. So the, in a way, that's that's actually a more productive way to run your business if you're an individual business. Um but um you know, the next step beyond that and something to really look out for is actually um, things like manufacturing businesses deciding, actually, it's it's not worth our while staying open at the all through November. We're going to we're going to do a sort of shutdown for three weeks or something. And we can we can try and pack out as many profitable orders as we can for the, the sort of two weeks around that or something. So you'll. I think you will see mothballing and staggered patterns, and people actually um, uh, reacting to the costs—you know, the increased costs of their business—by basically um, shuttering parts of their businesses uh, at, at the most expensive time. So, yeah, we're gonna—we're seeing there's every aspect of this crisis reaches every aspect of everything, and and that's that's the kind of fascinating. Um, place where we stand, where you know you can speculate into the future what will it look like, but actually it, there's also timing issues of people will react in one way at one time, but then try and get back to normal 
um, a few weeks later, etc. So um, it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting period to see all those individual and collective decisions kind of rolling out across um, as the government tries to stay ahead of this and make announcements around it and tries to keep the statistics and the and the pound sterling foreign exchange markets um, on side. So so maybe we can conclude with with taking it away from the, the experience within the UK and, and talk a little bit about the Gulf because uh, obviously not just in the UAE, but across this region, there's interest in the UK economy, a lot of direct investment historically as much as now. And of course, you know, the, the UK government talking about their hopes for a free trade deal with the GCC as well. But there's a lot of risk on the table now, even though the pound is is weaker, much weaker than so that usually is attractive. You have to balance that out with a risk. So how do you continue to to keep the UK as an attractive destination for investment from the Gulf, for example, when there is so much noise coming out about this everywhere? Well, that's it. The noise is deeply unhelpful. So, you know, the actual conditions of operating a business um, for people who are engaging from somewhere like the GCC, where basically, um, you know, the exposure while Britain was in the EU was at one stable level. And now there are greater opportunities. There is more openness by the UK to to, um, open up to Gulf business and to find new ways of attracting investment um, and, uh, you know, the government is trying to say there is a new mindset in place and there are new opportunities. So all those things still exist. But um, you've got this sort of um, macro um, noise, as you put it, where uh, so many things are buffeting the UK economy um, at the same time. So it's very, very difficult. And, and you know, keeping that vision of trying to, to open up and trying to be more um, more uh, attractive to new partners and looking for a more global basis on which you do trade is is actually you know the only option the government has outside of just dealing with the current crisis crisis so you know i do think they will try and keep that message uh, out there even if it is getting drowned out by all the kind of daily problems of inflation and an energy crisis and, and other things Damien McElroy, the the National's London Bureau Chief, thank you for being with us. Pleasure. Good to talk to you. And of course, uh, your team will be covering everything as it unfolds on the ground. So definitely go to thenationalnews.com for that. Thank you, Damien. All right. Thank you. Take care. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for being with us. All that remains to thank our production team. Please do join us again next time.